0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. The old saying, there's no show without punch, no show without William here, so... So, he's our star, so, Hmm. good, it's so good to be together again, so good to get into the Word of God and to be um, in his presence, and I'm excited about what God's doing at the moment, sent a little email out on Monday or Tuesday of this week just to highlight, felt it was important that we said something, but last weekend, 20 people give their life to the Lord over the weekend, so yeah, come on, let's give them a round of applause, yeah. Um, sometimes we aren't just good at celebrating our successes we all go 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 we want to push forward and always the next thing and so it's important to have a Gilgal um, whenever the children of Israel crossed the, the Jordan finally to go into the promised land they came in a little place called Gilgal and you'll find if you study the story it was a place that they always come back to after every battle they came back to Sort of regroup and tell the stories and rededicate and re all those re things. So that was a it's important to have Gilgal's. And so we've been talking about the idea of truth and using our key verse in John 14 6, looking at the words of Jesus, some of the I suppose you could say the red letter passages of the New Testament. And we decided to go into Matthew and go through some of the parables that Jesus, um, were in where he was trying to explain what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as um, Mark or Matthew calls it, what it's really like. And so this morning, we're going to turn to a small one. There's only two verses, Matthew 13:31 and 33. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. I'm going to put it on the screen as well because it is a, a short reading um, and talk a little bit about this very small thing. He told another parable, he being Jesus, of course, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning. Hope my drawing is okay. Um, But I I felt this morning it was important to get to something. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning. Some of you will remember the old bullseye program. And uh, I want to talk to you about the bullseye of your faith this morning. I want to talk to you about the what is the bullseye, what is the mustard seed of your life? Because Jesus seemed to lay a lot of emphasis on this little seed. Um, many, many years ago, probably about 30 years ago, I, uh, somebody give me this little book. Uh, it's called Acres of Diamond. It's by a guy called Russell Conwell. The pages have now well turned yellow. Um, and uh, it's one of the most incredible little classics. Um, and it tells the story of a guy called Ali Hafid. And Ali Hafid had an absolute obsession with diamonds. And um, he felt that, this was his quest in life that he would discover diamonds. And so what happened with Holly? he um, sold his little farm, and he put his wife and his kids into care of other family, and he went in search of his fortune um, of diamonds. And the story tells that he crossed the world basically looking for the diamonds and eventually died by suicide in a strange land. Here's what it says, the old Arab guide took off his cap, swung it in the air to get my attention to the moral of the story. Had Ali Hafid remained at home and dug in his own cellar or underneath his own wheat fields or in his own garden, instead of wretchedness, starvation, and death by suicide in a strange land, he would have had acres of diamonds. And the story tells um, that what happened many years after Ali Hafi died, that um, the, in the farm where he lived, um, uh, one of the family who had taken over the farm was taken sick, and they called for a local priest, and the local priest came to visit, and when the local priest was visiting, he noticed this piece of like black coal sitting on the mantelpiece with little glimmers through it, and um, having an eye for what was going on, he remarked about this, and he said, "That's that looks like a very special piece of rock. Where did you get it? And the guy who owned the house said, "It's we have a little river runs at the bottom, just right at the bottom of our garden, a little stream, and it runs through white sand. And he says, every now and again, these black lumps of coal um, appear in the white sand, and um, The priest said, well, you you should take that and get it valued. I think that's, and the the story goes that um, they discovered probably one of the wealthiest diamond mines in the world was in Ali Hafid's own garden. And so sometimes the acres of diamonds that we go and search for, if we could just find the bullseye of what's going on in our lives, sometimes we're that busy looking for the big things, we miss the wee things. Sometimes we're that busy looking for the big things, we miss the seeds of little things that grow into greatness. And that's what this story's about. It's an interesting story. Two or three things jump out when you read it. The first thing is its briefness. It's just two verses, although it does appear in all the synoptic gospels, so it appears in both Matthew, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't talk about it. So that's the first thing. It appears in those three gospels. The second thing is that Jesus once again uses a seed as an object, um, as he did in the two previous uh, parables, one that Dave talked about last week, and the other one that I talked about the week before, the sower and the wheat and the thirst And, so the, and the third thing we notice is that unlike the two previous parables, he gives no explanation to this parable at all. It's funny, isn't it? In the, in, the, in the story of the sower, he tells the story of the sower sowing the seed, and then he gives a big explanation to it, um, leaves us no doubt to what it means. Then he tells the story of the wheat and the tares gives an explanation to it, and actually comes after these couple of verses. Um, but this here, he, he simply tells the parable and leaves it there. He doesn't explain it at all. And the mustard seed, or uh, uh, probably the bush, um, is is very powerful because it grows from a really small, uh, it's not the smallest in the world, but it is small. And so when Jesus called it the smallest, it was the same rendering to the verse when he called um, the nation of Israel, um, not, the, not one of the greatest or largest, but one of the smallest. He wasn't saying it was the smallest in the world. So many people have argued that fact. Jesus wasn't saying that. If you go into Greek and all, you'll find that. But um, we haven't time to do that this morning. But this, this tree grows to 15 or 20 foot, this bush. And, um, uh, and, and in the fall of the year, apparently as branches become very rigid and the plant often provides shelter for many, many birds of many kinds. And it's obvious when you read the gospel that Jesus is pretty fond of this little plant. And whenever we were in Israel last year, um, walking along the valley of the doves, um, the guide was able to pick these little seeds or these little plants and show us them. It was quite incredible just to see how Jesus, while he walked, would have done all of these explanations just by Picking something out of the out of a bush at his side. This is how he explained the kingdom, how he just did it in everyday life. When Jesus says, I am the door, he probably was standing beside a door. When he said, I am the bread of life, he was probably holding a piece of bread. When he said about the kingdom being like a mustard seed, he was probably standing right beside a bush, and he would pick a little piece and show them um, his disciples. And so over and over again, he would use this. And as you read the gospels, you'll see that he uses the explanation a couple of times. He uses it in Matthew 17 when he's telling the uh, disciples about faith. He said, if you have faith um, the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, go and move to there, and the mountain would move. And in Luke 17, he uses the explanation around forgiveness. Whenever his disciples said, how often should I forgive my brother? He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So he's talking, he uses this quite a lot. And so Jesus is fond of this little seed. Like if you put this beside a a bean seed or a, a corn seed or a watermelon seed, it would be minute. The mustard seed would look like nothing, only a speck of Dust, that's what it's like. And perhaps what attracted Jesus to this tiny little seed was, was it's just, it's incredible potential. I imagine that's what it was. Um, This mustard seed was evidence that God could bring something great out of something very, very insignificantly small. And so to understand the meaning of the parable in Jesus' day, it helps to look at the context of the two previous parables that Jesus told. In both the parables, um, the sower and the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus had revealed, I think, some pretty discouraging truths. He had... um, I find them pretty discouraging. In the parable of the sower, Jesus had revealed that while much seed, much gospel seed would be sown, he says that not very much would, like, like there's only a quarter of what went out would actually bear fruit. And even that would just bring forth 30, 60, and only some of it would be 100. So he's, he's, it's, it's kind of discouraging. He's saying only a minority of people Only a minority of people would ever take this to heart and bear much fruit. It's important we understand that. It's important we understand the cost of salvation. It's not cheap, all right? It's not cheap grace. It's deep grace. It's not cheap reconciliation. It's deep reconciliation. All right it's not it's not cheap regeneration it's deep regeneration it's something that changes people and it's important that we understand that and in the parable of the wheat and the weeds Jesus had revealed the Talked to us about this last week. To his disciples, he revealed that that Satan would do everything in his power to stop the growth of the kingdom by sowing false weeds, by sowing even false teachings in in the world. And after hearing these two parables back to back, I imagine, I imagine that, that the disciples were a little bit discouraged. I imagine that um, uh, they, they were saying if most people won't even receive the gospel and Satan is going to do everything in his power to stop it growing, how in the wide world is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about ever going to get the greatness? I imagine that's what we're going. And so, sensing their discouragement, Jesus now tells this parable, this parable of the mustard seed. And I think I think he did it to lift their spirits. I think he did it to, to, to combat the discouragement that he saw in them. And and in this parable, Jesus is actually teaching that no matter how small the beginnings, no matter how small it is, the kingdom of heaven would grow to a great size. And, and it's interesting when you go back through the scripture to see some of the verses. When you look at Isaiah 11, it talks about Jesus. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Lovely. And from his roots, a branch. You know who the branch is? The branch is Jesus. This shoot, David, will come up from a stump of Jesse, and from his roots, a branch, a branch will bear fruit. Incredible, isn't it? Small beginnings, small beginnings. Um, remember that when Zerubbabel took the um, the, the, the first de- the, um, the first group of people back out of, out of Egypt back to Jerusalem, it talks about how the enemy would, would, would have tried to discourage and upset them. And that's where actually the word of the Lord comes in and says, don't despise the day of small things. Just because it's a small group, just because it's the beginning of something, I'm going to make this nation great again. Don't despise the day of small things. You could say when 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 um, Pharaoh's daughter lifted Moses out of the Nile in that little um, in that little cot, that little, little ark that was pitched inside and out, man, she had no idea that this little small thing would grow into a man who would deliver the nation, this man who would talk to God face to face as Exodus 33 would tell us. Little did, did, did anyone know when, when that little baby was born in that cave or in that outhouse in Bethlehem, um, and wrapped in swaddling clothes. Little did anybody know the angels knew that this man would grow to be a man amongst men. He would be the son of God. He would be the son of man. He would deliver his people from their sins. Despise not the day of small things. We're all looking for quick fixes. And we live in a world, Here, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Like from Jesus was a boy. Till he was 30 years of age you read little or nothing about him and we we sometimes forget the process we sometimes forget that there's a process we sometimes forget that there's a there's a promise and there's the actual realization of a promise and if I i i think sometimes if people only knew that there's a there's a time period between a promise and the actual realization of a promise and somewhere sometimes in that gap that people lose heart. It's in that gap that people backslide. It's in that gap that people think, well, maybe this isn't for me, or maybe I just got this message wrong. And if you go through the Scripture, you see it time and time again. You'll see Joseph, 13 years. You'll see um, um, Paul, 13 years. You'll see all of these men who, who we read little or nothing about the growth process, but every one of them had it. Every one of them had a process of waiting. Every one of them had a process of, of holding the fork, wondering when their day would come. And so it is here. Um, I love Isaiah 53. It says that he grew up before him, talking about Jesus like a tender shoot, small thing, and like a, a root, just a root out of dry ground. Now listen, listen how much the next part sounds like a mustard seed. He had no beauty our majesty to attract us to him wasn't talking about when he was grown up wasn't talking about when he was fully blossomed it was talking about when he was just a little seed <laughs> when he was just a shoot when he was just a, a root out of a dry ground there was no beauty in that there was no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This is the mustard seed thing. And just like the mustard seed, Jesus had a small beginning. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem. He, he was the son of a humble Jewish carpenter named Joseph. And a teenage peasant girl was his mom called Mary. He grew up in a little Galilean town of Nazareth in a home about the size of where you parked your car this morning. And for 30 years, he lived in relative obscurity. We know nothing about him really, but then in his three years following his baptism by John and Jordan, jesus we have Jesus' life, we have his teachings, we have his miracles, we have his death, we have his burial, we have his resurrection, we have his ascension, which left the most lasting impact of anyone who has ever set foot on planet earth. Don't ever despise the day of small things. And... Um, And there's something about what goes on in the person's heart. Consider the small beginnings of the kingdom. If you read the story in Daniel, uh, when Daniel is prophesying a kingdom to come, he talks about the rock that struck this image, this statue, became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. What's he prophesying? He's prophesying about this kingdom that we're talking about this morning. Here, it's just a rock that would hit the statue, that would hit everything that's false and smash it to pieces and would outgrow everything around it. At the time of Jesus' ascension there was only 120 people in an upper room waiting patiently for the, for the moving of the Spirit like they were commanded to do. Wait. Don't do anything. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. And there they were waiting including the 11 apostles. 120 people that didn't desert Jesus after his crucifixion. Talks about how he was seen of 500 brethren at once. I don't know where they all were but there was only 100. 20 here who had stayed faithful. 120 followers. Hardly sounds like a kingdom. Hardly sounds like the, the beginning of greatness. But consider what happened shortly after Jesus left the world. Peter got struck with a, a proclamation of boldness and preached the gospel, doesn't tell us he went to seminary or, or to Bible college, but he, he preached with a, with a boldness, a holy boldness when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And in Acts 2, we learn at the day of Pentecost that the kingdom grew from 120 to 3,120. And 3,000 people got saved and baptized in the one day. I was thinking we have a baptism to today at 5.30, and they're thinking three people today. If we did 3,000, man, there wouldn't be much water left in that wee tank. It'd be rightly trekked out the floor, wouldn't it? And then, and then in, in two chapters later in Acts 4, we learn that the number had increased by 5,000 men, not including women and children. Do the as in this. This is incredible. Two chapters later, The two chapters later, there's a little verse that I love in Acts 6-7, I think it is, and it talks about that the disciples grew at a a humongous rate. That doesn't say humongous, but they grew there at a fast rate, and it said that they multiplied greatly. All of a sudden, you see, in Acts 2, it says 3,000 people were added. In Acts 4, it says another 5,000 men were added. But by Acts 6, they're talking about Multiplication. It's not not addition anymore. The kingdom, this kingdom multiplies rapidly, it talks about. Then in Acts 9, we see the kingdom, the church branching out like a mustard seed plant, and we see it going to Galilee and to Samaria and and to Judea. And we know that that, that in Acts 10, then Cornelius gets saved and the gospel is exposed to the Gentile world and boom! The world's your oyster. This thing is incredible. It's now, it's now not just Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It's to the uttermost parts of the world. This is the most incredible thing. And I love some of the stories in the Acts of the Apostles. I love when, when, when Paul um, was, was, was prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to Asia. And he, he saw in a vision a Macedonian man waving his hand and saying, come on over here and help us. And so he decided to go to Macedonia. And Macedonia, southeast corner of Europe, the gospel comes to Europe, the reason we're here today, the reason we know Jesus, the reason that we are part of this kingdom is because the apostle Paul saw a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come on over here, come on over here, let's bring it to the Gentile nations as well. And it's incredible when we see what can start, if we can understand the seed of greatness and we can understand the bullseye of our faith and understand what it is we really believe in and what we actually have faith for. And, and faith isn't just for the good times, but it's for when the bad times come. One other wee thing that I wanted to say to you was that um, I, I've always wondered about the birds of the air thing. And not many not many commentaries talk about this. I studied a little bit on this this week. But I think I, think I had a little bit of revelation about it. And um, one of the key points in this short parable that I think can't be overlooked is that the birds of the air come to perch in the branches of of the tree Now I started to wonder about that I started to wonder it sounds like a lovely thing that this little seed would grow from this minuteness to a bush that would give home um, to all the birds of the earth but then when I went back a few verses I realized that actually when the seed fell amongst the path it says that the birds of the earth came and stole the good seed so in the parable of the sower the birds of the air actually represented demonic influence and I began to wonder, was the idea that the birds of the air were perching in the branches, I think, represents that Jesus was warning his disciples that as this kingdom grew larger, that it would be a nesting place for counterfeit versions of Christianity. I actually believe that. And, so, and today, there are many religious groups that park under Christianity there are many religious groups that would put themselves under the umbrella of Christianity You'd say, you're a Christian. They'd say, yes, but Jesus is prophesying many birds of the air have built their nest in, the, in, the, in, in this. And here, here's the thing. I started to look these verses. I got up early this morning, really early, and I started to look some of these verses up this morning in the early hours. And um, I came in this one in First Timothy four one. Actually, I could give you about twenty verses that are saying something similar to this one. Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits that park in the branches of the tree. Teachings of demons, other birds the common park in the tree. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually warned this himself. He warned in the last days that unbelief would be a, mass, a massive factor in the church. Now, here, here's a couple of verses um, in, in two, 2 Thessalonians 2, but let me read the prelude to them. Before you read them, let me read the prelude to them, all right? Now, it's talking in, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it's talking about the man of lawlessness. It's talking about Satan. And here's what it says. Let me read this, all right? And then I'll jump in. I'll tell you when I'm going to these two verses. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. No, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Is there rebellion in the world? I imagine there is, all right? And he says, And the man of lawlessness lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. This is the man of lawlessness. This is the Satan himself. Takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember When I was still with you, Paul said, I told you these things. And you know that what is restraining him now is that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So God's going to deal with him. And he says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God, it says, this is the reason. Therefore, God, and I'm reading it out of the ESV here, so let me not confuse you and read it out of here. It says, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Isn't that amazing? What it's saying is that, that in the last days, these birds of the air will come and perch in these branches and they will, my nose is running so you're in trouble. Um, and uh, hey, they're, they're going to park in the branches and, and people will, actually come to a point where God will actually decide, and God will say, if these people are going to run after this, then I will, I will send them a strong delusion that they'll believe that lie, and that'll sort it out once and for all. It's incredible stuff, and I believe that it's so important that we understand this, but I believe the primary thing that the parable of the mustard seed is teaching us is the important biblical principle that God specializes in turning little things into great things. And in this parable, he's turning a tiny little seed into a great bush or a great tree. And and in the fulfillment of this parable, God is using these handful of disciples to turn them into a glorious church. Beautiful, beautiful. God turned a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He turned Gideon's army of 300 soldiers into a band that would defeat thousands and thousands of the Midianite army. Time after time in the scripture, we see how God takes little things, insignificant things, seemingly worthless things to accomplish great things. And we must never underestimate what these great things are. And, and we must never underestimate what the church and, and the power of the church, even this church, not, is it perfect? Of course it's not. There's people in it, for crying out loud. And, and, and I'm in it. Of course it's not perfect. But the only thing I would say about the church is a bit like Noah's Ark. All right? It's stormy and rocky. It could be smelly and cramped. But it's a whole lot better than what's going on, outside. I'd rather be in it than out of it. And so there's something about this church that's growing. And we must never underestimate the power of it. And we must never underestimate the power of the individual. You might think, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? The answer is a lot. If you've got faith the size of a mustard seed. (laughs) It's beautiful. And you may think, my little prayers or my little deeds of kindness, those little words of encouragement, they matter. They matter. They do, and those are mustard seeds of faith. They're incredible, and in due time, God will bring a great harvest if you don't give up. That's the truth. And like the seed out of the ground, it grows in our hearts. When you put a seed into the ground, you bury it. Now the next verse, we haven't time to go into, talks about the leaven, and that's the same. The leaven goes inside, and it works from the inside out. That's what the power of God does: works from the inside out. Politicians say, "Change the man, and you'll change the circumstances." You know, or, or "Change the circumstances, change the man." God's the opposite. God says, "No, no, no. Change the person." And you begin to change the circumstances and so this little seed is buried in the ground the grace of god grows it changes the gospel transforms our lives it exerts a, a persuasive influence to the world at large and i love this and the scripture is full of people who didn't understand this scripture is full of people who 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 didn't understand understand the mustard seed principle and pushed the blessings of God away. I could start and tell you about Cain in the early stages of her Bible. I could tell you about Lot. I could tell you about Esau. I could go into the New Testament and tell you about Judas. I could tell you about Ananias and Sapphira. Need I go on? Loads of people who just didn't understand what this was. Now, I'm a list person, all right? I love lists, all right? I do lists all the time. a I, I little list in my pocket that I carry about this 25 years It's called my daily dozen. And I have 12 things that I, I remind myself to do every day. And I write at the back, I must manage my life every day. It's not the decisions I make, it's the decisions I manage. Hmm. All right, so I'm a list person, all right? And about 30 years ago, um, I, 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 I was sitting one day and I felt, To try and draw a target in my head right this is where my target comes in and I began to think of the things that God values and I began to realize that I began to think if I were to draw a target in my life right and I were to put my finger on the bullseye of the target of my life would that bullseye honor God would the bullseye of my life honor God? And I, I began to make a little list that I've had for years and years and I'm, I've never shared it before and I'm going to share it with you now, all right? And, uh, uh, and I think this list is important, all right? 10 things really quickly, then we're done, all right? I think one of the things that will honor God is a biblical perspective in life, that you live your life through the lens of this word. You know I beat this drum all the time. But if you live your life through the lens of this word, your life will stay steady. Troubles will come, but your life will stay steady because it's built on the word, a biblical perspective in life. I think um, the second thing I felt that God values is a person who honors the giving principle. I think if we understand the giving principle, and that's giving in all things, not just finances, finances as well. But if we understand the giving principle and we honor that, these are mustard seed promises that actually bring the blessing of God. A person who understands and applies wisdom. All right, we need to understand, not just not just think about wisdom, but actually understand wisdom. I think you humility oh sorry. Um humility is I I think the best promises in the Bible are actually related to this one thing. I think out of everything else, a a, a humble spirit, being humble in heart is one of the key things that brings the blessings of God. I think pursuing integrity with all you've got living a life of integrity, being who you are. That means if you you are who you are behind closed doors, that you're not one person there and another person there. You're not a saint here and a devil at home. You know what I mean? It's like, let's, let's, let's have integrity in our lives. Um, the fear of the Lord, understanding the fear of the Lord actually is the beginning of wisdom. When I say a fear of the Lord, I'm talking about a reverential fear of the Lord. Living in your life in, the, in kingdom perspective, knowing that God watches everything that you do. Um, I think honoring your father and mother. I find that people who honor their parents, treat their parents right, is a pretty good test of character. And I found that right through my life. doesn't mean you have to get on with them. might not even mean you have to obey them. It's the reason why in Ephesians 6, he said, children obey your parents. And then in the next line, he says, honor your father and mother because children have to obey their parents. Adults don't. All right, but you need to honor them. You need to honor them. All right. Um, Okay. Um, And then the, uh, where am I? Look after the elderly, widows and orphans. See, sometimes we're, we're so busy talking about the big things. We miss the mustard seed promises. We miss the key things that God values and honors in a principle of life, and honor spiritual leaders, understanding that God has placed them in a place, and He will judge them accordingly. He will judge them greater than you get judged. So honor them, and then honor the house of the Lord. There's something about bringing honor to the house of the Lord, and it's remembering that this life of faith is a life of direction. It's not a life of rules. It's not about whether you keep all the rules or not. It's actually about the direction you're going. And my question to you as we close this, so Marty's going to come, we're going to finish with a song and then we're going to pray. But my question to you is, do you honor the house of the Lord? What direction is it you're going? Because if all of these things are active in your life, if all of these things actually take place in your life, then what happens is, 2 Corinthians 3, we begin to reflect God's glory. We begin to become mirror images. We become to be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And as you just keep at it, as you keep planting the mustard seeds of faith, as you just keep doing the 10 principles and more, they're, they're not an exhaustive list that like you just keep doing, keep doing, keep working in the trenches, keep doing, keep doing. As we grow, it becomes the bullseye of life, and we begin to honor God in this, and then our lives are transformed. And, and, and this comes from the Lord, of course, who is the Spirit. So let's say uh, we're going we're to worship. Let's stand together, and uh, let's say, uh, let me just pray a little tick, and then we worship, and then we'll grab our kids. God, you're so good. Sometimes we just complicate the Christian life, don't we? Sometimes we just complicate it. It's simple. It's simple. It's just a simple book for simple people. And sometimes by our theological arguments, we just get it all into a muddle. And the word of the Lord to you today is just keep at it don't give up. don't give up. don't give up yeah keep going Jacqueline. Keep going. keep going keep going, keep going, keep going. I wonder about those 30 years of Jesus life I wonder like I wonder when as a boy he realized that he was different. I wonder somewhere he's bound to have realized that he wasn't just a a, a, a man that, that that he was that he was God's man on earth I, I wonder. I wonder, I stood at a little bridge when I was 11 years of age, I felt the call of God in my life, and 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 I was 33, 38, whenever planted Emmanuel Church, but 33, when God began to work in my life, and all of those years, I remember in those years, working two or three businesses, and Doing different things and thinking God had forgotten and had God because I didn't I didn't understand the waiting principle. I didn't understand the 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 the, the time between the promise and the the actual getting of the promise. There's 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 waiting. God's in the waiting. God's in the waiting. So God, I just pray to seal this word to every heart in this place encourage us to keep on keeping on keeping on keeping on on in prayer keeping on in the word keeping on keeping on keeping on, keep on lord just trusting you god that one day we're going to stand before you and see it all in principle how beautiful is that in jesus name let's worship and then uh, we pray god, and that'll be a stone we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.